Hey folks, and welcome to This Week in Games, a podcast series from the fine people at Deconstructor Fun. The concept, as you know, is pretty simple. Your hosts are Joseph Kim and myself, Mishka Katkov, and the goal of this podcast is to highlight and deconstruct a few of the most relevant news in games. Now, this episode is a little bit different. So, all the topics that JK found this time around were around esports, and we decided to do an episode focusing purely on esports. Now, both JK and I are not expert in esports by any means. So, so I grabbed a guest and I didn't look very, very hard for that guest because what actually happens is I had that guest perfectly here um, at our house. And, and that guest is um, actually, I'm going to introduce that guest a little bit later in this episode, but anyways, truly enjoyed recording this episode, uh, truly enjoyed our guest and her insights and as always, hit us up on Twitter to let us know which topics you want us to talk about next. Hit on the subscribe button, whatever podcasting platform you're using to hear our deconstructed latest news in the future. And please let us know which guests you want us to bring on next time around as we're talking about these interesting topics. Anyways, enjoy it, folks. And we're live. That's it. Twig nine. How are you doing, JK? Yeah. Um, good. Good evening, I guess, on on your side. And today, I think it's a special episode, right? What we're we're almost at Twig ten, which was uh, you know kind of a milestone for me. And we and today we have a special guest. That's true. So today we're uh, before we go to our guest and how we found our guest. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more about the topics of the day, and that kind of sets up why we have a guest and who the guest is. So, Jake, do you want to run through the topics? Sure. So we're going to be talking about four articles today. The first is, uh, um, forget Instagram, teen influencers are making thousands from online gaming. The second is about Activision Blizzard, where Activision Blizzard management talks esports, mobile partnerships, and more. The third is about Overwatch. Overwatch League expansion can bring in $480 million for Activision Blizzard. And the fourth is, is the future of esports in your pocket? Mobile gaming is already huge and getting bigger. And if you can't tell already, the theme running through all of these articles is essentially about esports and the growth of, of esports in, in the overall gaming market. So Mishka, uh, a little bit more about our guest. Yeah. So since we're both, uh, are we white belts or blue belts? We're kind of in between the white and blue belt I, I area. I don't even have a belt. <laughs> I'm I'm not not registered. (laughs) All right. So I think I've gone through the beginner's course and we know a little bit about esports, a little bit about influencer marketing, a little bit about community, but we brought in somebody to teach us. And that somebody is Haney Vesander, CMO of Matchmade and previously executive producer for Vainglory's esports. Haney, welcome. Thank you very much. I feel... Very warm and fuzzy about this beautiful introduction. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so, um, Haney, how do you want to do it? Do you want to run an introduction of yourself or do you want to just jump into the topics and show your know-how? I can spend like 10 seconds introducing myself. Yeah, first of all, yeah. talk about what Matchmade does. Yeah, CMO of Matchmade, we're the leading influencer marketing platform for games. So we actually um, analyze and automate the process of finding the best influencers, for your game and making sure that um, you, 
if you're a game studio and you want to grow your game through influencers that you're working with people who actually match your target audience and make sense for you on a budgetary side as well. And it's all about data, measuring real time, getting these beautiful reports about how everything's going and so forth. Super fun, super fun, super exciting. Um, and we have more news coming soon, but I can't say anything. And from the studio perspective, uh, I've used personally Matchmade in two different companies uh -huh. uh, that I work with. And both of the times, like everything that you said is true, but most important for me personally has been always the quality of the traffic. So very, very good quality of traffic coming in from the influencer sources. Uh, and, and that's always a positive because it raises your KPIs. So that's the way I see it. Anyway, let's not talk about Matchmade yeah. anymore. Jacob, <laughs> you got anything on that? Uh, no. Um, and you had one more shout out, right, Mishka? Yes. Uh, so again, just just we want to give a shout out as, as as always to the data partners that we have. So Sensor Tower for giving the quantitative data, and Game Refinery for providing the qualitative data for all of our uh, most of our analysis. Not not esports, but most of our game analysis. But without further ado, J.K., which article are we jumping into? Let's just jump into the first one uh, about uh, teen influencers. Okay, so this was an interesting one. So forget Instagram, teen influencers are making thousands from online gaming. Now, this article ran on NBC, and um, I have to say that this article was a little bit of a hot mess. So <laughs> essentially, it had just millions of quotes. So I'm going to kind of run through the most important parts and come up with, with the, the questions that I have afterwards. So the article starts about, um, and I'm just going to quote, this, this influencer, Luke Fergie, uh, dropped out of high school, and he had no idea what sort of a career he'd pursue. All he knew was that he really loved playing Rules of Survival. Um, and at that mo moment when I was reading, it's like, dude, you need to start playing Fortnite. Anyway, uh, <laughs> then a relatively new online multiplayer battle game from these games. Anyway, forward to now, six months later, the Irish teen who goes by the username iferg has more than 150,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, and he has turned his hobby into a job making sponsored videos for developers looking to promote their content to his followers. And he's going on saying that he earns about $300 to $500 per integrated video. So this is probably a video where you get a shout out and somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 uh, for a dedicated video. Now the article continues, and basically this article is, it doesn't even have, um, a clear point, but I kind of came up with a question in the end. Anyway, it it goes forward and talks about new zoo reports, which, pre which predicts the esport industry being worth $905 million this year. And quoting Andrew Paradise, CEO and founder of Skills, uh, a mobile gaming platform, that the esports industry uh, could could be as much as $40 billion by 2025. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but I also wanted to give a benchmark. And I looked at the global cardboard box industry, which is $500 billion already in 214. And, and it's just increasing through Amazons and everything. So even though esports is huge, the real money is in cardboard industry. But anyway, so I just, I just want to give people perspective when you start talking about 40 billions, it's like cardboard is now probably 550 billion. Anyway, uh, the article again jumps. This article is crazy. So thanks, JK, for finding it. Uh, so it jumps into an interview with Chris Hopper, head of North American esports at Riot Games. Uh, 
And he talks about why sort of a League of Legends is not really sharing the numbers. And he's kind of quoting that uh, it's tough to contextualize uh, within the broader gaming scope. But then he continues on saying that esports is great, especially League of Legends, because um, it's, a, it's a video game that you can play in an aspirational way, in a way that um, he quotes, I, I quote him, I watched the NFL and I enjoyed, but I can't throw a 50-yard pass. But with League of Legends, you can feasibly do these things pro, the pros are doing. That's why it's successful as an eSport game. And making updates to the game every week keeps it fresh for players. He also says that last year's championship had over 80 million live unique viewers in a single day. That, now, that's an astonishing number uh, across number of platforms, including Twitch and YouTube. So I'm going to end this with a couple of facts and a couple of questions, Haney. The facts are that the price pulls in esports are very variable and the endorsements are very risky. Games emerge quickly, like Fortnite, and they die fast, like DayZ. Investing in any market at this early stage is super high risk. There's possibly high reward. Um, and that's the question mark. So, so my questions. Number one is, what does a game need to do to succeed in esports? And number, that's the question number one. And number two is, is it worth it? Like, what's the ROI of being part of esports? Like this article, and anyway, I'm done. Yeah, those are great questions. And I, I tried to read through the article myself as well. And it was very weird because it started as an influencer marketing article and turned into esports. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, for the first question, what does a game need to succeed in esports? I think this is the holy grail of questions that people are are going after right now, especially with all this hype about mobile esports. But to be honest, there's no secret sauce that you can do to build an esport. What you need to do is build a good game. And we all know that's very, very difficult. Um, and for esports specifically, I think there's a few more things that come into play. It needs to be skill-based and difficult enough, right? Because like, I love Candy Crush, great game. I can spend hours on it. But in the end, there's not that much skill involved. Maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on this one. Um, but it, there has to be that like skill shot. You need to be able to strategize. You need to be able to, um, uh, you know, make mistakes, but then again, be able to, to come back from those mistakes, right? So it has to be complicated enough and skill-based. Anyway, I think a good esport is team-based just because it builds a lot better of a narrative of a dynamic because in the end what makes a sport is that you start to have an emotional connection with a team or a player you know like why, why would you care about random dudes playing a video game but in the, the minute you start to kind of get emotionally attached to to what logos on their t-shirt or what's their story you get involved, you you want to watch. And through that, you probably want to get better at the game as well. So you aspire, you know, you're inspired by these people. Um, and to me, team games, there's just so much more dynamic. There's just so much more that goes outside of the game as well, because we all know building a good team and keeping it successful and dealing with the pressure of competing in a, in a, in a game like that whole psychology when it's in a team, it's just a lot more interesting. Um, 
And then to become an esport, you don't have to have a large player base off the bat, but you have to have a game that's not only skill based and team based, but it's also accessible and playable by a large number of people. Looking at different statistics and metrics that there's out there, about 30% of esports viewers don't play the game that they watch. That's only 30%. That means that 70% actually watch the game. So it means that you have to have a large enough player base that people will, will watch it so that you can build a sport around it. You can get sponsors involved in production and have budget and so forth. Um, and and to, to do that, I mean, it, it, it has, you, you know, even though it's difficult, it still has to be accessible enough. Um, and, and that's why I think League is such a good example because it's free, right? It's, it's everything you spend is, is, um, is cosmetic and it's, it's skins and so forth. So you don't have to spend money in the game to be good. Anyway. It also has to be watchable. It has to be pretty and nice. Why would you want to watch something for hours if it's if it's not, you know, if it doesn't look appealing to the eye? Um, of course, it doesn't have to, not everything has to be AAA and beautiful camera shots here and there. But still, like we're used to seeing very high quality entertainment. We want to see those camera angles. We want to see see pretty art um and then when it comes to the game side one thing that like specifically to lift like yes the game has to be good and there's a million things that go into it but one thing that i kind of think is important is that there's not the super strong snowball effect because if if you know if it's team v team the other team does a massive mistake do they have a possibility to still have comeback? Because if there's not that possibility, you're essentially in a snowball situation. So if there's one mistake, you know who's going to win. That's not interesting. You don't want to watch that. It's like when you're watching a, a good UFC fight, right? Like, all right, the dude oh, was almost knocked out, but no, still no. can come back, right? Everybody likes a good beatdown. No, they <laughs> don't. Come on. <laughs> um, so, so, so those are kind of a... a a few things. Then to your second question, is it worth it? What's the ROI? Ha! Huh, that's a great question. I think there's this ongoing debate within esports of is it marketing? What is it? For me, I don't think esport works as a marketing tool to acquire new players. It works as a phenomena. It works as building PR, as working PR, as you know, building something larger than life. Um there is some there's some companies that do very smart tracking with when when games are being played how does that correlate with purchases in game and 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 you have to tie in the esport within the product and you can do some very good roi if, if you build it smartly i don't think a lot of companies do however um and and I if I if I were thinking about building an esport and money would be my number one objective, I would say no. You, I wouldn't start doing esports to make money out of it. If I want, I want to do esports to build something mm -hmm. new and big and interesting and and get viewership and you know, build this phenomena thing. Cool, that's great. But right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. JK, Sorry, that was a long monologue. Jk, I'm gonna summarize and you'll jump in. So. My summary here that I was I was listening to you. So in order to be a successful or in order to build an esports, you have to be a skill based game. You have to be accessible. You have to be watchable. You have to make sure that, Sorry, that Mishka, uh, you. I think the internet's cutting out a little bit. Oh, yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll reiterate. So in order to build uh, an esports game, 
you have to have a skill-based game, a accessible game, a watchable, uh, good balancing. So anti-snowballing, mm. meaning that if in the midst of the game, uh, one team is losing, um, there's a balancing that allows the, the rubber banding in the sense that allows the other team that is losing to come back from behind. And this creates what any game needs to, or any sports needs to have is that's thrill of winning and the agony of defeat. And then finally, you said team-based as well as story-driven, meaning the story around the people playing the game. And that's where the team kind of comes in. That's where the individuals. So those were my notes, JK. Hmm. We lost JK. JK, donde estas? <laughs> no? okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hearing like every other word, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully the internet clears up a little bit. Yeah, so I just basically reiterated um, what Haney said, but let's just jump in forward and I, I, let's hope the internet on your end keeps on, keeps on giving. Um, so do you have anything, uh, do you have anything to add to this or any other questions? So basically, well, yeah, yeah go I have got two, two questions for Haney. So, um, to, to your point earlier, the article first seemed to focus on like teen influencers and then jump to the overall esports market. You know, it was pretty interesting to, to, to see just how big they think the esports market is going to get. So maybe a question on, on both of those issues. The first so Haney, from the perspective of trying to become a teen influencer, and, and if you look at, you know, you're, you're working with influencers today, what do you think it takes for those teen influencers to be successful? And the second question I have is um, about the business model. So, you know, it seems like there's two different types of, of models with respect to like how esports works with the different games, either franchise or non-franchise. Could you, you know, for, for some of us who don't know, could you talk about both of those models? Sure. Um, I'm going to answer your influencer question first. So, so for a teenager to become uh, an influencer, I think that's also one of the, the holy grails right now. Um, but to be honest, I think a lot of us older folks, we look at the, look at these, these influencers and we're like, wait, what? These are just kids making videos and they're getting all of these viewerships and sponsorships and money doing exactly what, but actually what goes into it is a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. It's a lot of thinking about how do you stand out from others and how do you still stay true to your audience? So, so becoming a, a teenage influencer isn't all that simple, but so <laughs> trying to simplify it is find your own niche, do something that, that that's not, you know, copyable by everyone else. Um, be consistent. So, you know, making videos regularly or streaming regularly, being kind of predictable in that regard, being very professional, I think, because uh, a lot of these kids are young. So what they struggle with is, you know, sometimes if things are agreed on with a company and you have a sponsorship, you have to deliver on right. the deadline. It doesn't matter if you're tired, but you have right. to, you have to have to deliver. So I think that's, that's one key component is like, that professionalism um, and then just, you know, having the patience to build it out, 
slowly. One of my favorite channels right now is this two, I don't know how old they are, maybe 15, Lucas and Lucas and Marcus, uh, twin brothers that do all these silly pranks on YouTube. And they're really funny. They bring in their parents and, and sisters for all this funny stuff. And, and the thing is, like, they do it, they, they do those videos regularly, often. There's always something funny. There's always a punchline. They do it um, kind of uh, as themselves, but still in a very professional manner. So that's essentially like building your own YouTube channel is like building your own media empire. So taking it seriously. Okay. Enough of that. So <laughs> the franchise model. <laughs> um, uh, so to be honest, my background is, is more in, in the production side um, and not so much in, in thinking about everything that goes in, into the financial models. But if, if you look at the, 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 franchise revenue breakdown what it comes down to essentially that you pay a sum of x and you're in a league and you can't be kicked out so essentially that's the big value right there is is that you know that you will be in a league with certain viewers and you're there right um which helps for then building your your shared revenues the league shared revenues which are sponsorships media deals merchandise then uh, on top of this the teams can do specific revenue deals like um more sponsorships and peripherals and apparel and so forth um and then you know with the franchise it also comes down to the regional and city revenues getting a share of the ticket and merchandising within the home market so there's a lot of advantages that goes into it uh, like said, you can't you can't drop out. There's shared revenues, so there's a higher floor, um, and you're all in it together. Essentially, building it out together is is better for everyone. There's more to win. Um, you also have your home market to protect, and you do have that fan base built in um, through through your through your kind of locational ties. So, for example. Uh, with Fnatic, they're based out of London, so they have a huge following over there, and they've built a very strong home base and a bunker where they host all these events and stuff, right? So you start to build that kind of country versus country, city versus city feel as well. Um, then in the in the non-franchising model, it's different because there's no upfront payment like that, but you compete to be part in a league, but there's the risk that you can fall out. Um, but then there's all, you know, then there's the sponsorship sides, essentially it's, it's kind of the, the revenue streams are similar. There's the sponsorships, there's the apparel and equipment, there's the media licensing deals. Typically there's higher prize pools. Um, and the advantage is that it's more, more adaptable and flexible for new games, especially, um, and then non-franchise brands can be in, in multiple titles, but to be honest, like Franchise and non-franchise teams, there's very little exclusivity in this regard. Um, and there's, you know, there, there, there's more options. For me, what it comes down to is uh, what's the best way to build a long-standing sport? I think uh, the franchise model can't be brought in too early because for a team to put in, say, $20 million to be part of a sport, you kind of need to know that the viewers will, will be there. You need to know that you'll get that money back and then some. Um, and if that were a new esport that isn't yet established, that's super risky, right? So the the non-franchise model, I think, works works uh, when it's uh, new titles that you don't know how the, how they'll do. Um, and 
I had another thought, but now it's now I'm losing it. Hold on, it's it's late in the evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, well, anyway, maybe that's enough. We have two more articles to come. Two Actually, more three or more articles. Like, I'm talking. So you guys are shooting hard on the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Going hard on the paint. Oh, but then, like, what's what's more entertaining, right? Like, so for the viewers. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't have the crystal ball here, but is it more interesting to watch the same teams compete and not be able, you know, they, they won't drop out. There's no relegation. Do you want to watch those teams and see how they do? It's, it's kind of consistent. You have 12 teams and you can, you, you know, like within that frame, who's going to be the best? Or is it more interesting when you when, you know, even if even if they're fanatic, but they they don't play well, they can fall out. Is that more entertainment relegate yeah so i don't know did you have any additional thinking for that uh i i don't but uh yeah you i think you bombarded us to the next I'm question sorry. next article oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry right, can we uh go to the second article Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So the second article is um, Activision Blizzard Management Talks Esports, Mobile Partnerships, and More. And basically, this is an article that talks about so um, Activision Blizzard had an earnings call, their, their second quarter earnings call, and just some highlights from that call. But um, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on the, the esports related um, issues that came out from that call. So, um, a, three points from the call. First is that um, the Activision, the, the senior leadership team explained sort of the most important aspects of its growth strategy. And really, they, they talk about two key competitive advantages, which is valuable content and wide scale distribution. And there's a pretty good uh, quote from CEO uh, Robert Kotick. Uh, I think he goes by Bobby Kotick. But basically, he said, virtually all of our content is based on intellectual property we own and created by our wholly owned studios in the US, Canada, Europe, and Asia, and staffed by the most talented programmers, designers, artists, and animators in the world. We are in a privileged position. We have a direct digital connection with our customers. We are a creator of premium content, and we have multiple monetization models at scale. So in other words, I, I think what, what he's alluding to is, is, is basically the fact that Activision has been able to create incredibly valuable IP and once you have that IP, you can monetize it all over the place, like console, PC, mobile, comics, T-shirts, books, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what they're saying is, you know, the, the key to their competitive advantage is building these very, you know, um, very good IP and, and then being able to monetize it. Uh, the second point they talked about is how well they're doing in esports. And so uh, Activision Blizzard partnered with uh, 12 team owners for the first season of its Overwatch Esports League. And um, it also signed media rights deals with streaming broadcast leaders like Amazon and Disney. And it also held its championship event at Barclays Center, um, which sold out and was watched on TV and online by millions of viewers worldwide. And on top of that, um, they, the Overwatch League is on pace to generate nearly a billion dollars in revenue for the company. So uh, this, this kind of woke me up, you know, not only the numbers from the past article, but, but just understanding how much revenue can, accru- uh, can accrue to the publisher for, uh, for esports in a game. And finally, um, the, the, the other point uh, I wanted to take away from, from the earnings call is 
the, the fact that they're pointing to an, a massive opportunity in mobile, which is good news for us in the mobile gaming in, industry. But uh, I'll just read a, um, uh, another quote from, uh, from Bobby Kotick. While esports, while esports give our existing fans a new and everlasting way to celebrate their favorite games and, and expand the appeal to broader audiences, our mobile initiatives will expand our access to our iconic franchises by making them available to hundreds of millions of new players around the world. We have multiple mobile initiatives underway, including some with partners with strong mobile experience and local market knowledge. So it sounds like, you know, um, Activision Blizzard will be really investing a lot more heavily in, in, into mobile with new games. And they, they also mentioned uh, how well King is doing, 270 million active users compared to like 45 million and 37 million for console and PC. So just kind of describing like the reach and the breadth of access to users uh, via mobile. And then also uh, they mentioned partnering with Tencent for a, a Call of Duty game in China. So a couple of, of takeaways um, from, from this is that one, you know, they seem to be doing well in terms of owning and creating IP, which is super valuable. And once you create that valuable IP, it's, it's highly monetizable. And again, esports is, is, is definitely generating a lot more revenue than I had originally thought. Um, and, and yeah, just, just a question to, um, to, to Haney, like, how big does this get? And is, is this, is, is, is what Activision is doing with Overwatch? Is that, is, is that typical? Are other publishers of popular games going to be able to generate as much money as, as Activision Blizzard? Can, can you talk to me about like, you know, how much money you, you think um, publishers are going to be able to generate from, from esports? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that, that is, that is, the, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> to be honest, no, I can't predict that. Okay. Um, I don't think. Uh... Well, do, do you think Overwatch is more of an outlier or, or do you think there'll be other games that can, you know, generate as much money for the publisher? Like, you know, um, maybe other popular games, whether it's Fortnite or, or you know, other so, other games. The the way I see it, mm -hmm. esports right now, there's very few games that are actually big. You have Overwatch, you have CS, you have League, you have Dota Two. Like, it, it's Fortnite and Fortnite. Yeah, of course. But you have like, you have a few big titles that are doing very well in esports, and it. It looks like a very lucrative market, and in many ways it is. Um, but then again, like it, it's it's the same thing with with creating a, a successful mobile title. Like it's very difficult and it's very hard. Um, I can't predict any numbers on on if it's one billion, two billion, or three billion that you can do that you can make in it. Of course, it's it's possible when everything goes well and you have a good title that's competitive uh, that people want to watch and you own the IP, you probably own some of the distribution channels um, and, and you can actually uh, produce at scale. Um, but just from my experience, like building an eSport, it's it's not very easy and it's not very simple. Um, and, and for new titles, like like I said, I don't think eSports is, is the best way to, 
to think about growing your game. When you have a game that's doing well and people want to play, play competitively, esports can become massive. And especially if we look at where the kind of um, viewership of sports is going o o overall, um, esports is the future. That's, that's what the younger people want to watch. Um, but I'm not going to give you a number. No All way. Right. So, so <laughs> let, let me, let me give you a number. Okay. You give me a number. I'll give you an exact you number. number. So, and that number comes in from the third article that JK put Yes. Here. And that article literally says, it's from Motley Fool as the one before, Overwatch League expansion could bring $400 million for Activision Blizzard. And the article basically goes through, and I'm going to quote, is going... Activision Blizzard is going to be cashing some large checks in the third quarter after announcing six more expansion teams for Overwatch League. In 2019, the league will grow from 12 teams to 20 teams and will include franchises as Chengdu and Hangzhou in oh, come on, like you can't pronounce that in China, Paris, Toronto, Vancouver in Canada, in Vancouver in Canada, and Washington. The expansion could proved to be potential for esports as an international business. For Activision Blizzard, it isn't bad for the balance sheet either. Activision Blizzard expected to charge $30 million to $60 million per new Overwatch League franchise, depending on the location. This money will go directly into Activision Blizzard's coffers, which differs from revenue that franchises might share, like tickets and advertising. So essentially, this, this article is saying that in order to jump in to overwatch league it cost you between 30 to 60 million dollars i think this number is up if i'm correct yeah, yeah it used to be 20 before but apparently the price tag is is like three times higher right now just jump in so i'm, I'm kind of wondering like where does that that one billion number comes from and i think it comes from from things like twitch which signed a $90 million two-year deal to be exclusive streaming home for the league last year. Uh, so probably... Sponsorships. Yeah. But, but isn't the sponsorship something that the franchises can keep? Because aren't the, uh, the tickets and sponsorship um, revenue going to the franchises while the, uh, the Overwatch League is, is just the one you kind of pay to attend and, and they, they get the TV rights as well as the... Uh, uh, they, they distribute the TV money. How does it work? I'm not sure. I don't know the the details on how the Overwatch franchise works, to be honest. But in the normal, like JK, do you know how it works in the normal, like let's say NFL? Uh, uh I think it's based on the the NFL model, so they should be similar. But yeah, I, I mean, my understanding is is just as basic as is what you were talking about. That you you pay that franchise fee to get a team in the league. There's a limited number of seats. And then um, I, I believe just based on um, uh, uh, based on, you know, Haney's comments before that, you know, uh, there would be a set of league shared revenues uh, as far as like sponsorships and stuff like that. And then I think um, ticketing, I, I, I don't know if that goes to like if that's wholly owned by the team or if, if that's also sort of um, league shared as well. Yeah, it kind of has to be league share because then the team would have to own the stadium where the game is played. Like yeah. if this teams arrange that. So so in this case, it would be probably uh, some kind of, you know, again, they divide the other uh, profits for, from both the other uh, streaming rights, TV rights and the ticket rights between the, uh, the franchises. But the franchise 
franchisers can actually have the the you know the the revenue from sponsorship like if if they're sponsored by you know um 76ers or or any like Paris Saint-Germain has now a team like all these all these big real sports franchises have now real esport teams so so anyway uh this is the number and my my kind of question was was you know, I have two questions. So number one is if you have to monetize esports, is franchise model to go with? Because, you know, essentially you're you're asking for, for money for others to attend. And the number two is, you know, you kinda answered this multiple times, but it's should companies look to monetize esports or rather look for esports to drive growth? It depends on the game and it depends on the phase that the game is in. Um, I think clearly a franchise is a great model and it's, it's lucrative for not only the league, but it's also lucrative for the teams. And in the end, to build a sport, you need to build the ecosystem and not only your own, you know, you know, grow the depth of your own pockets. So I do think that it makes sense. But like said, from day one, it doesn't work. Like you have to figure out how do you build an, 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 an e-sport that doesn't like, to be honest, like the first two, three years, you're investing a lot of money out of pocket and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, you come, you, you know, you start to start to see the, the dividends year four or so forth. Um, um, and then at that point, if you have the viewership, if you have that player base that wants to attend and wants to watch this event, then the franchise model does make sense. But in the beginning, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, so put it this way, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of games do when they start to build an esport is that they go too heavy, too hard. You need to start building it kind of patiently with the community through softer tournaments, building that interest to have those kind of narratives that come out of the player community that then feed into the actual official sport. And 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 when you start slapping like a hundred million, you know, year one of your esport, I think that's you're kind of you're investing too much too fast and and just the, the player base isn't ready for that, nor is the title, because you need to test it out. Like, you learn so much just from those smaller tournaments. I, I kind of forgot your question by now. And the, the, so the question one was, is the franchise model... So question one was, mm-hmm. is the franchise model uh, the way to monetize esports? And the question number two was, you know, should you look for esports as monetization or as growth? And you kind of answered that before. Yeah. You said look for it as a growth channel and when it grows start monetizing so it's yeah like, yeah so it's essentially the free-to-play model of get keep monetizing yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay okay so so esports function as as free to play got it <laughs> but if, if your game has potential for an esport there's so much hype mm-hmm. right now and there's so much money around esports yeah. right now that everyone's looking for the next thing so if your game really is esports capable i think you're in a good place jk what do you got yeah i i would say that the one other question i have is just more strategically like you know depending on the game and, and the you know if we look at the value chain like who's going to be driving the most money from esports is it the publisher or or you know or the teams and um if, if i'm looking at the activision model it sounds like Activision is going to be making most of the money. Um, I, I I don't no, know. You know, it's, probably, it's publishers and it's uh, it's production companies. 
Yeah. <laughs> always come out in the winning end on this. <laughs> right. And then I, I guess there's also the, um, you know, uh, the, the, the streamers as well in that mix, whether it's Twitch or, or so, so there's, there's also sort of the distribution platform as well in that mix. And right. Like how well do they do? I, I, I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But yeah, it, at least currently, if, if I'm just looking at Overwatch, it, it seems like, you know, most of the power is, is, is held by the publisher. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Um, all right. So why, why don't we wrap this up with the last article? Um, this last article uh, is basically, is the future of esports in your pocket? Mobile gaming is already huge and getting bigger. So just, uh, just to break down the article very quickly, uh, according to NewZoo, Mobile game spending is projected to rise more than 25% this year and represents the majority of all game spending. So $70 billion in a $138 billion market. Uh, Clash Royale launched its league last month in August, and Vainglory just launched a league of its own this month, the Vainglory Premier League. So both mobile game titles launching their own esports leagues. Um and uh, just to the point that, that you were talking about earlier, Haney, while most you know esports leagues have sort of cashed in by selling broadcast rights and 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 things like that, the Clash Royale League is is actually not seeking either. So they're kind of viewing it to to your point as as more of a marketing cost. And there's there's a um, there's a quote from Tim Ebner, the head of esports for Supercell, and he states for Clash Royale. Sports is fundamentally engagement marketing, and we are not looking to monetize it directly. And then this article talks about kind of the pro argument and then the con argument for why mobile will be or potentially could be a big esports uh, market as well. And so just just in terms of like the overall units shipped, they, they stayed in IDC, uh, uh, IDC research that shows that there will be 1.646 billion units of, of smartphones shipped in 2022, up from 1.465 billion in 2017. And comparing that to the sort of 82.2 million PlayStation 4 units and 29.4 million sort of Xbox units in 2017. And the con to this, or the reason why mobile may not become a huge sort of esports market, uh, they... they they spoke to uh, a guy by the name of Michael Pachter at Wedbush Securities, who cites that the screen size and control scheme are limiting factors. And then he states, I don't think mobile ever becomes a big deal. If you can watch a movie in IMAX or on your phone, which one are you going to do? The best experience is always going to be on a large screen, according to Pachter. Um, and then the article ends with... Um, with some some uh, statistics around Clash Royale's YouTube channel having over 600 million views, and um, and, and the fact that for for Clash Royale's tournament there were over 25 million players from 113 different countries. So um, the big question here is: so we've we've had a number of discussions about esports, and and certainly from a console and PC perspective, it's gotten pretty big. I don't think anyone will really really doubts that that's going to be a, a big market with, with all the numbers being thrown around. But what, what about mobile? Um, and so Haney, maybe 
Could, could you speak to, uh, and, and, and it's certainly great that you've worked at Vainglory and they've just launched their league, but um, what do you think in terms of mobile becoming massive in esports? Yeah, so <laughs> I actually get asked this question a lot. And, and for me, what it comes down to, um, I haven't seen all the stars align yet in a mobile esport. I don't think we've seen the right title with the right tech that's skill-based enough that solved for things like latency problems and and reliability uh, that has has a large enough player base is viewable <laughs> and has a right. format that people want to watch. So with Vainglory, I think we did many things right, but I think there's there, like one of the big mistakes is that we went very strong in the ex- existing uh, kind of how esports are broadcast, which is long, long live streams. So I think, for example, that's one thing, like figuring out what what do mobile esports look like? Because, I mean, somebody might punch me in the face for this, but mobile games are more casual than PC and con- console. So why shouldn't mobile esports be more casual by nature as well? And thus, in my opinion, more accessible and more mainstream. So I don't think there's anything preventing mobile esports becoming big and becoming bigger than traditional mobile esports. We just haven't seen the right mix of everything come together yet. And when we talk about mobile esports, there's a distinction to be made between West and the East. If you look at the East, mobile esports isn't the future. It's happening right now. Um, Arena of Valor, the, the, the version over there, King of Glory, their viewership is, is massive. And according to New Zoo, um, 24% of the esports revenue in China is from mobile esports. Um, the, the King of Glory tournament had like 14 million peak viewers um, in China. So it, it's already happening. <laughs> but the West... Right. Is, is happening differently. And I don't think the mobile MOBA is what's going to make esports ex- explode on MOBA. Maybe it's Clash Royale. Maybe it's Candy Crush. The hell I know. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> I, I, I disagree with Mr. Pactor because, for example, if you use the argument the best experience is always going to be on a large screen, Half of Twitch viewership is on mobile. Half of YouTube viewership is on mobile. Yes, my YouTube video would look bigger on my TV, but that's not what I have in my pocket or in the bathroom. <laughs> right. Um, can I drop? Yeah. So yes, you go. Go ahead. Okay. So so I like. Okay. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna talk a little bit about Clash Royale esports, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. So. I don't hate Clash Royale. I actually love. This is my favorite game. We know that. Yeah, that you delete but and reinstall. It's again installed, and I'm, yes. I'm God damn it, I'm deep in this. Like, I, yes, I, I have know. an addict. I need to uninstall it again. By the, I gave myself till Friday. Somebody said, check out the new trading system, and I was gone. <laughs> anyway, throw us the numbers. Anyway, so I have to throw some shade on their esports uh, tournament. So. After this big launch, and and you know, Clash Royale channel on YouTube has has close to I believe six million subscribers. Uh, so they, yeah. they launched this new channel called Clash Royale Esports. There's hundred and twenty seven thousand subscribers. The latest video, and we are having Team Dignitas playing. Uh, what's that? that? That looks like Team Liquid. That logo, Liquid. Yeah, the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Liquid. See, I know stuff. Anyway, so the, so Dignitas playing Liquid and so forth. We have awesome matches. 34,000 views, 
9.4 thousand views, 4.3 thousand mm. views, uh, 22 thousand views, 61. And then you go back to Clash Royale channel. There's a goddamn Clash Rama comic, which is you know nothing related to the game. That's a one million view. There's an update with the latest one where their 3D artist is going through the basics of 3D art character creations. You know, everything from baking and sculpting and and texturing and and rigging and animating just to like, you know, a run through how to make a 3D character. I think that got close to 2 million views. Meanwhile, these eSport teams and their finals and their top five games and whatever are getting like 20,000 views. Mm -hmm. Just saying, just these are just numbers. I still love the game, but yeah, these are just the numbers. I think there's a, a conversation to be had about how much do these established, well-known esports teams, how much do their viewers um, migrate between games? Mm. So Team Liquid is Dota 2 based. How many of, you know, like, and, and like, all right, they have a huge fan base. They're great in that. Um, but then again, will those fans watch Clash Royale? They also have other titles like Counter-Strike and so forth. But anyway, like, do, do their fans go to other games or is it, does it, in the end, does it matter if they have that logo on their shirt versus they would just build from scratch? So for, you know, comparing to like, there's this famous YouTuber called Alvaro Ocho Patrocinco, and he's he has Team Queso, which is mobile esport. They competed in Vainglory, but they mm. also compete in Clash Royale. I would love to actually see how their viewership is doing because he's grown kind of organically from the mobile gaming scene. So is it kind of that mobile esports is still in its infancy and having all these big brands doesn't work or doesn't it? I haven't seen any research. I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking a question. Yeah, you basically you're saying that does it make sense to have these massive esports franchises right. to be a part of it? It's right. like what is the audience you're talking to? Because your game is super accessible, and players who play Clash Royale, like myself, mm-hmm. you know, I happen to know Team Liquid and Team Solo Mid, and and you know, it's Cloud called TSM. And- Nobody knows. I, anyway. I love saying yeah, solo no, mid. I know, I know, I know do, but, but I love saying please, it. It's so, it's so nerdy. Yes, anyway. Okay. anyway. <laughs> so, so, do not correct when it's team solo mid. Sounds like a state when you say it. Yeah, it's like I want my team solo in the mid. God. It's, it's so mobile. JK, help. <laughs> anyway, so does it, does it make sense? Because when we look at their previous one, like even the esports uh, announcement trailer mm-hmm. got 21 million views. But it's not like people don't care about Clash mm-hmm. Royale. It's declining. Mm-hmm. It's just, it seems like they don't really care about this type of content. Their first game got like close to four, close to half a million views when they kicked off the, uh, the, the esports. And then all the latest one, the star studded action as they presented, star studded action. I love it. Uh, they don't. They don't really get that many views. No. But, but to be honest, you're not that deep into this season yet. There's still region versus region. We're not in the finals. You know, like it's still early days. I know. Based on based on the metrics, I would only do videos on texturing and modeling and baking. <laughs> is, is viewership is that your KPI or what's your KPI? Yeah, that would be my KPI. Oh, the viewership. KPI. If you want to want a growth pattern. <laughs> I would do everything. I would have next the community manager talk about answering to tickets and <laughs> that would be like 2 million views. Anyway, JK, you jump in. Yeah. I, well, I guess the, the last question I would have is then what, so if, if mobile 
if a mobile game will get big in terms of esports, what what is it going to take? Is it higher skill cap? Is it you know something that's that's a lot more Twitch action based? Is it something where there's a lot of crazy stuff happening on the screen? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people that watch these uh, golf trick shots or pool trick shots because it's just like really sort of you know exciting and weird stuff happens. Or, or is it just like, you know, being able to see team-based stuff and that's hard to do in mobile? Like, I don't know if you guys have any any thoughts or predictions in terms of any specific type of game that will that could potentially sort of uh, break through. I think it's going to be something new. I think it's going to be one of those genre-defining games that just comes out and it just makes sense. And I just, I don't know what it is yet. Like, I'm not a game designer, Uh but I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> I, just, I just don't think the content's there. And, and then when you're building a mobile esport, you do have some more technical requirements. Um, so, so for example, to have a, a not tour-based uh, live team versus team multiplayer action, like it requires a, a different kind of tech setup and then for an esport having worked on this myself like figuring out how do you make wi-fi work in this live setup because you're on mobile um, so anyway there's there's that kind of things but i i think right now the content the game isn't there i was very much in the hopes that vainglory would have been the the, the, the the mobile esport title to to really become massive um but i think that went too too heavy into the core core right maybe clash royale is too heavy in the casual maybe it's not interesting enough as an esport um maybe it isn't skill-based enough i don't know but i just don't think we've seen the game yet maybe it's it's candy crush candy crush esports i'm just waiting for it i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> i'm a little bit serious just because i like candy crush <laughs> i Just that stage design would be so cool, and having these massive jelly. Beans would it be? Everywhere. Would it? Would that stage design be sweet? It would be sweet. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, I think I think we've covered all the topics and more. All right. Oh, this um, was a cool 52 minutes of podcast. So again. If, I think my answers were rubbish, except in the end. So, so you just delete so, me out. No. So here's the, here's what we're gonna do. At what's your Twitter handle? Hanyder. At Hanyder. H e i n d e r. Ask her more questions, and we might have her back on the podcast or not, depending on the feedback. We're very analytical here. Very data driven. Yes, you are very data driven. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yes. So so. <laughs> hit us up you know on, on twitter uh as well as you know deconstructor of fun and and um linkedin and all the channels facebook we're we're everywhere we're literally in every podcast channel every every social media channel except snapchat we do not mess around with snapchat we're too old mm-hmm. i don't know if you jk are. i don't know if jk has a snapchat do you have- no, no snapchat for me yep you have i i i Instagram. Okay, JK lives You're, in LA. Yeah, he, he can does. have Snapchat. He's basically the neighbor of Snapchat. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's let's cut it. Let's cut it. This is it. Thank you very much. Uh, this was a highly What's interesting. What's your hashtag? Hashtag deconstructor of fun. Hashtag I don't know. 
I, I don't do hashtags. Anyway, thank you. We're done. We're done. This is done. We'll get back Bye, next everyone. week. Shoot us up for, for ideas as well as guests. We have plenty of guests that want to come in, but you are the first one. So thank you very much, Haney, for, thank you for, for joining this me. off thank the you. sofa Thanks, and coming in. JK? Yeah. All right. We're done. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.